This is The Guardian. Today, making sense of weeks of riots and rage across France. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If we know anything about the French, it's that they're no strangers to protests. But the scenes on the streets of Paris and other cities over the past weeks are, even by French standards, pretty unusual. In fact, they're the biggest demonstrations in the country for decades. And they come in response to what sounds like a pretty modest proposal. Bordeaux's town hall set alight by protesters overnight. More than a million had taken to the streets across the country through the day, angry at President Macron's raising of the retirement age from 62 to 64. But increasing the pension age by two years has touched on something much bigger. A question of what it means to be French, what the state owes its citizens. With a president at the centre of it all who's refusing to back down, and a far-right opposition sensing its opportunity to strike. From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in Focus, how raising the retirement age set France on fire. Angelique Chrysafis, you're The Guardian's Paris correspondent. And the chaos we've been seeing across France over the past few weeks actually starts last year with the presidential elections, which were won pretty handily by the incumbent Emmanuel Macron. But those results don't tell the full story. Well, Emmanuel Macron was re-elected for a second term in office less than a year ago. And it was a very strange campaign because came down to a runoff between him and the far-right Marine Le Pen, which meant that a large part of people who voted for him voted foremost to keep out the far-right. And this created a difficult situation for Emmanuel Macron, which he acknowledged in his first speech. He said, I hear the people who have chosen me, not for me or my programme, and I'm going to take them on board, and I'm going to govern differently, and I'm going to listen to people. I also know full well that many people tonight voted for me not to support my ideals, but to block the far right. 
in June last year, there were, of course, parliamentary elections. And what happened in those elections was a massive setback for Emmanuel Macron's second term because his centrist grouping lost their absolute majority in parliament, leaving them quite little wiggle room to get legislation through. And in those same elections, Marine Le Pen's far-right National Rally Party became the biggest opposition party in Parliament. We're going to continue to bring French people together as part of a great popular movement unifying all patriots from the right and the left. The left bloc, which was led by the radical left, as well as the socialists and greens, was also very strong. So we had an, an unprecedented polarised parliament with a government without an absolute majority. Okay, so that's the first thing to know here, that Emmanuel Macron is the president, but he's not in a strong position. His biggest strength is that he isn't the far-right leader, Marine Le Pen. But tell me about Macron the man. Is he well suited to navigating this kind of difficult environment where he needs to negotiate and compromise to get anything done? When Emmanuel Macron was elected six years ago, he presented himself as someone incredibly different. He was a former banker. He was the youngest president ever. He didn't come from a party. He presented himself as an outsider. And he had promised a new way of doing politics. But what happened very quickly in his first term, and we saw this with the Gilets Jaunes anti-government protests that started over fuel tax but became an almost anti-Macron movement, was that he was seen as the kind of Jupiter figure on high, looking down, believing he had some kind of almighty sense of being always right. He said he would never back down against the street, that he knew what was good for France, that he was going to overhaul the welfare system, cut taxes, bring in a new pro-business agenda. And one of the difficulties he had, even in being re-elected for a second term, was presenting himself as capable of empathy and of listening to people. And he has tried to do that but still, all the anger is really focused on this one man. I know that for many of our fellow citizens, people who decided to vote for the far right tonight, I understand their disagreement and the anger that led them to vote for that project, and we need to answer them as well. That will be my responsibility and the responsibility of those around me. He comes to power promising to be a new, improved Macron, now capable of listening. So what is the major policy in his first year that he chooses to take on? Well, I remember about a year ago going to this former warehouse in the banlieue just outside northern Paris, and Emmanuel Macron was announcing his manifesto. It was an awkward moment because internationally, it was the war in Ukraine, there had been COVID and there'd been a big focus on international issues. And none of us were quite sure what he was going to pull out of the hat for his second round. And the main policy was raising the pension age. And there were a few gasps in the room because we were thinking, well, this has always been very, very unpopular. But from that point on, he said that he would not back down, that this had to happen to protect France's pension system. And so why does he think this reform is necessary, raising the French pension age to 64? Well, pensions in France has always been a hot political issue. The pension age in France used to be 65. The socialist president, François Mitterrand, lowered it to 60. And for the last 40 years since then, successive presidents have tried to change the pension system and raise back the pensions age. 
Emmanuel Macron has tried to change the pension system before in 2019, and that time round, he thought quite creatively about changing the structure of what is quite a complex system. And some of the unions were on board with that, but there were massive strikes and street protests, and eventually that idea was shelved at the time of the COVID pandemic. This time round, things are very different. It's a straightforward, right-wing style raising of the pension age, and the unions are not on board with that. And he hasn't managed to get on board the public who are two-thirds against it as well, because he hasn't managed to explain it properly. Is it fair? Is it necessary? Why are you doing this? His argument is he's doing it to protect the system because people are living longer and having less children, but it hasn't quite washed with the general public. The current French retirement age is 62. Even if it went to 64, it would still be below the pension age in Germany, the UK, Italy. So why is this reform considered so controversial? So it goes beyond this idea of when you finish work to a whole idea of your working life and social protections from the state. You don't put money aside for yourself. You pay into a kind of community pot. So you have mandatory payroll charges that any worker pays into the system now, which pays for today's pensioners. This idea of paying in these high payroll charges make people really sense that a fair pension is their right and it's the bedrock of a fair society. And it's true that France has the lowest qualifying age for for a state pension in main European economies. But the reality can always be different because you have to pay in for a certain number of years. So, for example, graduates or people in, in white collar jobs will probably retire later, say around 67, because they've had this gap while they've done long university degrees or postgraduate studies. Whereas people on lower incomes doing more manual jobs start work, say, at 16, I'm thinking of an apprentice butcher or someone working in a factory. And the difficulty with this reform was that it was seen to be targeting low-income working-class people, whereas those with slightly cushier, maybe better-paid jobs who would be retiring around 67 anyway, didn't seem to be so badly hit. And so what was the initial reaction when Macron said early in his second term, this is what I want to do? In January, in a very rare show of unity, all France's main trade unions set up and began leading regular nationwide strikes and protests. And these were historic. They were the biggest demonstrations in around 30 years. They peaked at about at least 1.28 million people out on the streets. They were in towns across France, not just big cities, smaller towns as well. And they were peaceful and they succeeded in, in blocking transport, refineries, bin collections in cities like Paris, but also Le Havre, and schools. They had a really big impact. Garbage collectors in Paris have now been on strike for 19 days. Over 9,600 tonnes of waste continues to pile up in the streets. As protests and walkouts against President Macron's unpopular pension reform continue across the country. Okay, so this is a pretty unpopular policy, but Macron manages to get it through anyway. How does he do it? The key date was March the 16th. The nation was holding its breath because the government was going to face a vote on this pension change in the lower house of parliament in the National Assembly, where the MPs sit. And in the final minutes, just before the prime minister was due to come and address the assembly, there was a series of frenzied meetings at the Elysee. And What emerged quite quickly was that the government was going to do something it had said, something that certainly the Prime Minister Elizabeth Bourne had promised that it wouldn't do, 
was that it was worried it wouldn't get enough support to pass the motion for the pensions bill. And so it was going to instead use a form of constitutional executive power known as 49.3 to push this law through bypassing parliament. And so what was the reaction in Parliament to finding out that on this very controversial bill, Macron was simply going to bypass them? Pensions reform is a massive issue in France. So the idea of using a constitutional instrument to push it through without a parliamentary vote was huge. I've never seen scenes like this in the French Parliament, and I don't think many people had. But as soon as Elizabeth Bourne, the Prime Minister, came in and took her position in Parliament to begin to speak... MPs on the left began singing the the French national anthem. Elizabeth Bourne couldn't be heard. The session had to be adjourned and started again a few moments later. And then the Prime Minister gave her speech saying that that they were going to use these special constitutional powers. We cannot gamble on the future of our pensions. This reform is necessary. This was the moment the protests went from peaceful street gatherings to unpredictable, chaotic pockets of small groups of people lighting bins in the streets, targeting public buildings. We saw Bordeaux Town Hall front door catch fire, city courthouses in other cities and police stations were targeted and we saw running battles with the police. This is becoming a major crisis for the government. What started as a peaceful demonstration, once again turning into running battles on the streets of Paris. One thing that is really striking, watching this from afar, is actually the way that French police approach these crowds, which seems to be quite brutally. Like, they use tear gas, batons, in what sometimes seems like indiscriminate fashion. Why do they handle the protests that way? And what impact is it having? Policing of demonstrations and rioting and violent clashes with police have always been controversial in France. And over the last two weeks, this issue has really come to the fore. So anyone who's seen images out of Paris or France over the last few days has seen this idea of these police dressed as robocops with their protective gear, fires being lit, people throwing rocks at them, tear gas and water cannons. There have been record numbers of police out on the streets. For example, there were 13,000 police out this week. And behind that has been some very serious commentary coming from human rights commissioners. The Council of Europe's human rights commissioners warned against what she called police brutality and said that even if there was sporadic violence on the street, excessive force must not be used against everyone. Lawyers have also complained of what they call disproportionate violence. They've also complained of people who were arrested for no reason just to get them off the street. There have been many injuries. There have been many injuries also of police. And there have been environmental protests unrelated to pensions that swelled in numbers in the west of France. And during those, uh, two people have been left in a coma. The demonstration was against plans to build a large water reservoir for farm irrigation after the driest winter on record and a drought last year. But families described being trapped in clouds of tear gas as police said around 1,000 known troublemakers from across Europe took over using explosives and carrying weapons. 
I mean, these just seem like complete days of rage across the country. Is this still about pension reform for those who are going out on the streets? I think it's gone beyond pension reform. When I spoke to people protesting this week, they were talking not just about pensions, but the whole social security net in France, which is very strong and which they want to hang on to. Now, if you add to that a question of the political system itself, when the government used a special constitutional executive instrument to push through pension change without a vote, it lit a fire which had already been there in people, especially since the Gilets jaunes yellow vest anti-government protests, which was this idea in France of a lack of trust in the political system. They fear that politicians are only out for themselves and they're not properly taking the people's view into account. Tell me about Emmanuel Macron. Oh, franchement, oh la la! He thinks he is the king of France, but he's just the president and he doesn't understand. He doesn't, he doesn't listen to us! The, yes, he doesn't listen to, to yeah. us. And as there's been all of this chaos, so much anger on French streets, What has Macron said? Perhaps surprisingly, he has come out standing very firm. He is not going to sack his prime minister and reshuffle the government. He is not going to call a snap general election. He is not going to change tack on the pension reforms. The age must be moved to 64, he said, and there's not going to be a referendum on it either. He wants to present himself as a strong leader against what became violent outbursts on the street. How it was received, though, by most of the public in polling, they weren't convinced that he was listening to people. There aren't a hundred solutions if we want the pension system to be balanced. It no longer is. And the more we wait, the more it will get worse. And so this reform is necessary. And I say this to the French people. I don't enjoy doing this. I would prefer not to do this. But it is also because of a sense of responsibility. Is there any chance, any indication from anything Macron has said that he might just back down, admit that the public don't want this, apparently, and walk away from it? There is no sense of that at all. Emmanuel Macron has always said in the last six years that he would never bow down to the streets. It's true we had the Gilets jaunes protests and there were tweaks made to laws then, and that's what's giving unions, I think, a bit of hope. But on this issue on pensions, he believes he has to really stand firm because his whole credibility in his self-styled idea as a reformist who's getting a handle on public spending, who's lowering taxes, his whole credibility on that depends on him passing this reform. And so he is standing absolutely firm. Trade unions still believe that he should back down. And how much is this beginning to affect Macron's ability to just do anything else as president? Well, for the first time ever, his diplomatic standing has been affected because he had to cancel a visit of King Charles. King Charles had a very packed programme, and one of the things he wanted to do to prove his environmental credentials was to take the train to Bordeaux. He couldn't do that because a strike day was called, and so he would have been stuck in Paris and he would have been facing protesters anywhere he went. And there was also a huge amount of police required for Charles's visit, which couldn't be provided. There's also a symbolic element. This isn't why it was cancelled, but protesters were already beginning to have a field day with the fact that uh, Macron and King Charles were to have an enormous dinner at the Palace of Versailles. And that was already starting to be the topic of banners and demonstrations. And that was considered very, very, very damaging here in France. 
Coming up, how Macron's pension reforms could leave the far right in charge. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. Angelique, it feels as if this kind of environment, an unpopular president facing huge protests, widespread disillusionment among the public, is a good time to be an opposition leader, especially one from the populist far right. How is Marine Le Pen, Macron's most prominent opponent, handling these protests? It's very interesting to watch how the far right have been handling the pensions crisis. In Parliament, Marine Le Pen has now the biggest opposition party with 88 MPs, which is a historic high. And facing her are the radical left opposition with Jean-Luc Mélenchon's La France Insoumise. What has happened is La France Insoumise and the radical left have been very vocal in their opposition to pensions. And the government has seized on that, saying the radical left is irresponsible, they're stoking the streets, And in the background, we have Marine Le Pen's party who has kept very, very quiet. The party might not actually have its own ideas about pensions. We're yet to see that. But the more they keep their head down, the more they hope to be able to reap their own political rewards. Because, of course, the low income workers who are most affected by this pension change tend to be now the new working class groups of society that are choosing Marine Le Pen. It's a question of preventing the expression of the will of the French people through their elected representatives. They didn't manage to find a majority because they were bad. This reform was unfair, badly prepared, badly conceived, badly presented. And so do we have any sense of, of how popular she's become off the back of this? 
One option for Emmanuel Macron could have been to dissolve parliament and hold a snap general election. But that would actually be very dangerous because of how well Marine Le Pen's party is doing. Polling has showed that if he was to hold an election tomorrow, her party would gain seven points and win seats. His party would lose seats and the left would stay stable. So we do know that Marine Le Pen's campaign to sanitise her image, presenting this new respectable face of her party, which was the way she would see it, they're actually gaining ground. And so how dangerous is this moment for Emmanuel Macron politically? This is the biggest domestic crisis of Emmanuel Macron's second term, and he has to make sure that it doesn't turn into a lingering political crisis and a political stalemate. Even if the demonstrations on the street begin to peter out, Emmanuel Macron is left with a conundrum. His Prime Minister, Elizabeth Bourne, somehow has to keep passing legislation in Parliament without an absolute majority and without the support of Nicolas Sarkozy's old party, Les Républicains, on the right, there's almost no room for manoeuvre. And so what will Emmanuel Macron and the government do? Will they stop passing legislation? Will they chop legislation up into tiny pieces, hoping that they can get the support of the left here and the support of the right there, which is what they might do on immigration? We don't know. We're in uncharted territory. In some ways, it looks like these strikes point to a much bigger crisis that France finds itself in. The country is bitterly divided, the far right is growing, and faced with the option of Marine Le Pen or Emmanuel Macron, voters and other parties have had to hold their noses and say, okay, we'll go with Macron. But at the same time, if you were looking for a president who could fill that difficult role, someone who can build coalitions, keep the peace in a divided country, you really couldn't find anyone less suited to that role than Emmanuel Macron. I think the real problem here in France, which has been for many years, is that it's very hard to do politics if you're in a structure whereby People are just trying to hold back the far right and keep out Le Pen. And this means that there's a constant dance going on of getting the right support and enough support to pass legislation. Emmanuel Macron came to power saying that he would make sure that no one in France had any reason to vote for extremes ever again. And yet we've seen the rise in the number of votes and the number of parliamentarians from the far right. I mean, the risk is that he goes from being the person who kept the far right out of power to being the one who delivered them to government. Well, the head of one of the biggest left-wing trade unions here said that if Emmanuel Macron keeps going on this reform, he will essentially be handing the keys of France to Marine Le Pen. There's four years left of Emmanuel Macron's second term. He can't run again because you can't run for more than two consecutive terms as president. We don't know who will run again, on the centre, on the left, on the right, as president in four years' time. But we do know that Marine Le Pen wants to have another go and that she is, each presidential race, slowly increasing her vote. And this means that there's nervousness around Emmanuel Macron. There's nervousness among his centrist MPs. And I think one of the big problems for not just Emmanuel Macron, but his actual centrist parliamentarians, the lawmakers and MPs whose constituency offices are being attacked in recent days and are receiving death threats, is that they need to have a legacy showing they are improving French people's lives to stop people flocking to extremes. And they need to show empathy. 
And that was something that Macron himself said after traveling around lots of different parts of France a year ago. He wanted to listen to people. He was accepting that in, in the Elysee Palace, you don't always hear people's voices on the ground. And he promised then to listen to people. There's this angry idea that the people representing the country aren't listening to the people on the ground. And he has to prove in some way that he is making a gesture towards understanding at least those people and not ruling in isolation. Angelique, thank you very much. Thank you. That was Angelique Krasafis, The Guardian's Paris correspondent, whose coverage of these protests you can follow at theguardian.com. Before we go, The Guardian is giving away 10 pairs of tickets to this year's Glastonbury Festival. So for your chance to nominate someone to see The Arctic Monkeys, Guns N' Roses, Elton John, Lizzo and many others, go to theguardian.com forward slash worthy dash winners. That's theguardian.com forward slash worthy dash winners. It's open to any UK residents aged 18 and over and nominations close on Saturday, the 1st of April, 2020. 23. That is this Saturday. And that is it for today. This episode was produced by Eli Block. Sound design was by Solomon King. The executive producer was Phil Maynard. And we'll be back on Monday. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.